Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to all of you and me. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for everybody's well wishes. I had several people reach out on both like the uh, the podcast Instagram and then on my personal Instagram, which is always kind of fun. Like I recognize like certain names or yeah. whatever, and I'm like, oh, you're here too. So <laughs> thank you. I am back. And uh, I was going to ease into things this week, and I was like, oh, let's just do like, you know, take it slow, like do a 30-minute episode. Um, that's probably not happening yay i was actually surprised at like how how many pages of notes i ended up with oh good i'm excited then let me get even more comfy yeah so um probably a full length so jumping right in because okay i'm doing the show today that's right let's do it (laughs) let's do it we've missed you we want to get back on this we're back 2022 let's go we're here finally so this is the story of mary bell when I was looking for inspo, I was like, okay, so I read this article the other day. I know I like promised to jump right into the story. We're not going to do that. So I was reading this article the other day about like how true crime might be affecting people's mental health, like absorbing it, reading it, listening to it all the time, watching it, that kind of stuff. And I was like, hmm, I actually like, I could see that. Cause like, I'm fine listening to it. I don't really like to watch it currently. It's just like... I need, like, happy visuals Mm. in my life so I can listen to it all day long. But if I have to watch it or read it, like, I'm kind of, like, disconnected. Yeah, Yeah. like, can't, my brain's just, like, not in that place. I don't know how to say this without sounding, like, tactless, but I was looking for funny true crime stories. Okay, like, interesting in the not gory way. give me, I wanted to do, like, a place, but, like, people are, like, mixed on doing, like, haunted places and stuff like that, so I was like, whatever, give the people what they want, but I was like, maybe something that's, like, more action-packed and has, like, a little bit more, like, less gore. Something that I could disconnect from, if you will. Okay. And then this article came up that was like, 11 true crime stories that are um, 10 times more interesting than Ted Bundy. And I was like, cool. Oh, yeah. And then, like, I came across Mary Bell, who was described as an 11-year-old serial killer. So I was like, 11 years old. Tell me more. Yeah, tell me more. And then um, they were like, two victims. And I was like, that's not really a serial killer, but okay, like, let's keep going. And then I thought it was going to be an easy episode, and it's not, and then there's nothing funny about it, and there's nothing lighthearted about it, and then I started reading more details, and I was like, this is exactly what I was trying to avoid, but I'm already three pages in deep, and so, like, here we are. (laughs) This is not good for my mental health, but... (laughs) But it makes for a good episode. But it's too late, and (laughs) so here we are, nothing funny, nothing lighthearted, nothing, like, super action-packed, nothing like I wanted to do. Cool. The story of Mary Bell. All right. The 11-year-old, quote-unquote, serial killer. Not actually a serial killer, but... So Mary Bell was born on May 26th in 1957 in Newcastle, England. Holla over the pond, neighbors. <laughs> hey. Um, her mom was Elizabeth uh, Bell, who also went by Betty. So okay. I will be calling her Betty for the sake of the story. Um, she was a well-known local sex worker. Well-known. Well-known. Okay. She, she everybody, everybody kind of knew. And during that time, during any time, sex work is controversial. Like, sure. it is what it is. During that time, really not accepted. Nobody was, like, open and... 
Well, the dogs progressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no one's like super progressive about their mindset sure. about the work. So like, if somebody's doing it in town, everybody kind of knows. Yeah. So everyone's talking about Betty. Yeah. So Betty would like go out of work for quote unquote, or go out of town for quote unquote work. Hmm. Okay. Business trips. Business is trips. What she would call them. Um, which she, I guess she was going out of town for work, but business trips. I'm kind of like. Mm. Um, anyway, she was often absent. She left the kids with the man that everybody thought was their dad. We'll get into it. But she would often travel to Glasgow to actually work. Okay. I don't know if that was just like trying to separate her work life from her personal life and that kind of thing. But that's where she went often to find clients. So if their dad, air quotes, wasn't home or around, because he was kind of in and out absent, um, then the kids were left alone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're, like, babies. Like... Young kids. Wee tots. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know how many? Two. Okay. So, Betty was 17 when she had Mary, and she already had another child before that. So, she's got two daughters at this point. The dad is officially unknown like nobody's actually sure who Uh, the biological dad is but she told mary that her dad was a man named billy bell william is his first name but billy bell um he was a violent alcoholic he had a rap sheet a mile long that included armed robbery and she had already been born when her and billy got married so not totally sure if that actually is her dad and also because of the work she's involved in and sure. stuff like that. Not sure. But anyway, it's the man that claimed the role, if you will. A he was father. the father figure. Gotcha. Yeah. When Mary was born, Mary's aunt reported that Betty yelled at the nursing staff at the hospital to, quote, take that thing away from me. Oh, no. Within minutes of Mary being born. And that's the kind of mother we're dealing with. That's awful. Yeah. So Mary was often frequently injured as a child. And the mom tacked it up to her being kind of clumsy. It just so happened that Mary was always injured when she was alone with her mother. And so the mom would be like, oh, she fell out of a window. Good God. But they actually believe that. Betty dropped her out of a first story window. Oh, wow. And then she would accidentally overdose on pills. The kid? Yeah. Mary, by herself, somehow, magically, overdose on pills. That was Betty's version of the story. Mary, later on, says that these things were actually being inflicted on her. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So, at one point, Betty even tried to sell Mary to a woman who was a mentally unstable woman that had been trying to adopt and obviously hadn't been able to adopt because of her her mental stability and everything like that. So, yeah, Betty was like, sure, take my daughter and tried to sell her. My God. And so, (laughs) then Betty's sister had to chase this woman all over town trying to actually find Mary to bring her back home. Oh, she actually gave it, like, sold yeah. her. Oh, yeah, yeah, Not yeah. just tried to sell yeah, her. Yeah, she but... was just like, here, take her, or wow. whatever. So then, yeah, the sister had to go and, like, try and track her down to bring her back home, but then when she brought her back home, she returned her back to Betty. Ugh. Now, while Betty's sister couldn't actually take care of her herself, there were many family members who actually offered to take Mary. They would 
go to Betty and say, like, let me take her. Like, yeah. I will take custody of her. I will take care of her. They offered frequently. And Betty was like, nah, I got it. Never took him up on it. Never took him up on it. And then it became reported, again, this is Mary's account of things, that her mom's, I don't want to say preferred, I don't know, her her clientele became much more um, S&M oh, okay. focused. So her mom assumed the role of a dominatrix. Oh, wow. So she was the dom in the relationship uh, with her and her clients. According to Mary, she encouraged her clients to use sadomasochism acts, which I'm like, I'm having a hard time getting it out because the S&M community, one of the things that's like very ingrained into it is that it's all consent, right? It's right. all consent. Like the right. entire S&M. The idea that there's yeah, two it roles has and everyone to, is. It has it. to have consent right. in order for it to operate the way it's supposed to. Right. So I'm having a hard time using those words to describe it, but that's all I have. Mm-hmm. So mom was a dom. She had clients that were into S&M and then she would encourage her clients to use those same acts and strategies on her five-year-old daughter. (gasps) Oh no. Yeah. And she made money off of that. So Mary started being sexually abused when she was five by her mom's clients in a very, um, again, I'm having a hard time like describing it in a way that I feel like is fair, but for a five-year-old non-consenting child in a very violent way. Right. Yeah. Which, obviously, being sexually abused is violent regardless. Mm-hmm. You are yeah, using strategies that. that are intended to inflict more pain and right. those kind of things. So, oh, how awful. obviously, Mary began having signs of being troubled and disturbed at a very young age. She struggled with bedwetting. She had mood swings that were often, like, violent and um, sudden. And she started fighting with other boys and girls at the school. And she started trying to strangle and suffocate several of her classmates. Oh, no. Naturally, she didn't have a lot of friends. Everybody was kind of scared of her. One of the things that she actually did was she tried to shove sand down a girl's windpipe. Yeah, basically to, like, try and, like, make her choke to death on sand. My goodness. Yeah, so kids weren't, like, super keen on playing with Mary. Right. They were, like, not trying to die today. Right. Which it's interesting to me that the strangulation piece is kind of a, this will be a reoccurring thing. Um, but again, like her, with her classmates, she's known to strangle and suffocate. Like, where do you learn that from well, specifically? Right. Yeah. Okay. Poor girl. So she didn't have many friends, like I said, but she did bond specifically with one girl who was named Norma Joyce Bell who just so happened to have the same last name, but they're not actually related. And Norma was the 13-year-old next-door neighbor. They became friends. In 1968, specifically on May 11th of 1968, this was right before Mary was turning 11. Remember, Mary's Mm -hmm. birthday is at the end of May. So she's 10 years old at the time, and a three-year-old boy is found wandering around the neighborhood, confused and bleeding. He's got a pretty significant head wound, and... He's picked up, obviously very injured. He tells police that he was playing with Norma and Mary on top of an old air raid shelter. Okay. And one of the girls pushed him off the roof of it. 
and it's a seven foot drop. Whoa. So he had a severe head laceration and he's covered in like scrapes and bruises and stuff like that. He can't tell the police which girl actually pushed him that same day while police are like figuring this out with this little boy. They're getting these phone calls from the parents of three different little girls who are calling the police to report that Norma and Mary had tried to strangle their daughters in a sand pit. Dang. Three different girls. Same day. So four kids in the same day. Whoa. Yeah. One is pushed off a seven foot platform, if you will. Yeah. Um, and three other girls are, they tried to strangle them in a stamp, sand pit. Whoa. My goodness. So the police are like, so this isn't good. Let's go talk to Norma and Mary. Let's go knock on some doors. Yeah. yeah. So they bring Norma and Mary in and they are questioned about like what happened and everything. They say that they found the boy after he fell. He was already bleeding from the head when they found him, but they weren't actually playing with him. Nobody pushed him or anything like that. The police are like, okay, well, what about these girls? Yeah. <laughs> like, Okay, fine. We'll give you one. But what about these other ones? And Mary is like, yeah, no, I didn't, I have no idea. I didn't do anything. And Norma said, well, Mary actually tried to quote unquote throttle these little girls. What? And said that Mary went over to one of the girls or would go over to the girls and say, what happens when you choke somebody? Do they die? And then she would put her hands around their teeny tiny necks and squeeze as hard as she could until their faces started turning colors. Oh my gosh. But due to their age, Norma and Mary, the police were like, okay, don't do it again. Like, <laughs> have a good night. Yeah, but... Literally, like, gave them a warning and released them. Whoa. Yeah. Four, four I mean, what... girls, or four children. I mean, at that point, with no other signs, they just were having, what, do you, what would be a fit punishment for that, you know? Assault. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. No, all right. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Cool, cool, that, cool, cool, That could be one. <laughs> That's a suggestion. They just let them go? Yeah. They literally gave them a warning and released them. Now, during this time, apparently this particular area is called Newcastle-upon-Tyne, I think is how it's pronounced. It's a very hefty name for an area. Um, they were undergoing a major facelift. Um, some of the old, what were referred to as like the slums in the area were being demoed and modern houses and flats were being built in their place. They were basically trying to elevate the neighborhood, if you will. So yeah. Yeah. Reface it. Exactly. Yeah. Out with the old, in with the new. Obviously, like this ends up displacing several families that are living mm. in these the old housing. So some of them were kind of waiting to be rehoused by council. Other had already been moved out. The ones that had been moved out are like their, their homes are essentially in a state of demo where things are, you know, wrecking got, balls. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And we have like rubble everywhere. Yeah. And the kids of this area would actually often go and play in these like torn down half houses and stuff like that. They turned it kind of in there into their like junkyard playground or sure. whatever. Just a rubble pile. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a large construction zone. It's probably very unsafe, but this is where the kids play. And then one of these area or one of the areas in this town runs next to one of the railway railways. Okay. Railroads. 
either one. Um, Where trains go. And the kids refer to this area as Tin Lizzie. Okay. I don't know why. But they call it Tin Lizzie. So on May 25th, this is the day before Mary turns 11 years old, things escalate. So she lures a little four-year-old boy, his name is Martin Brown, to the upstairs bedroom of one of the houses that's designated for a demo. So okay. it's, nobody's living there, it's abandoned, but it hasn't been torn down completely yet. At 3.30 p.m., he is found by three other kids who are playing, lying on his back, with his arms stretched above his head, specks of blood and foam are coming from his mouth. Oh. There's no other signs of violence or struggle. And the kids go and they find a worker. The worker comes and tries to perform CPR, but he is unable to revive little four-year-old Martin. Oh, my goodness. As this worker is performing CPR, Mary and Norma appear in the doorway of the bedroom. Oh, God. And he thinks that these kids are still trying to play in this house. And he's like, you guys need to scram. Get out of here. Like, he knows this is, at this point, it's a crime scene. Mm-hmm. So he kicks all the kids out. And so Mary and Norma go to little Martin's aunt's house. They know him and they know his family. So they go okay. to his aunt's house. And they knock on the door and they tell his aunt that her nephew's been in an accident. And they said, we think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him. Weird. There's not blood all there's over him. Blood but over him. Yeah. that's what they tell the aunt. That's how the family finds out, basically, what's going on. And so a doctor actually completes a what's referred to as a post-mortem assessment. It's not really a full autopsy, Mm -hmm. but it's like an assess. Like, what do we see here? Try to figure out what happened a little bit. Yeah. And the doctor is unable to determine the cause of death. He does disprove investigators' theory that he might have died of a poisoning or an overdose because there was Mm. a an empty bottle of pills in the house. And so they thought maybe he ingested those pills. The doctor was like, yeah, no, that's not what happened. And that's kind of where like things end They're They're like, okay, we don't really, we have no idea what happened. And so then the next day alarms go off at a local nursery. And this is not like an American nursery where we grow plants. This is like a nursery for children. Yeah. (laughs) When they started talking about like deaths and stuff, I was like, oh, 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 Oh. not that kind of nursery. (laughs) Oh, okay. So they break into this nursery. um, Or I'm sorry, alarms. They break in. Spoiler. (laughs) Sorry. I was trying to like lead up to it and it didn't work out. Anyway. So this is Mary's 11th birthday. They break into this nursery and they just vandalize the place. They tear apart the books. They knock over desks and upturn everything. They destroy the walls with ink and paint. Um, And the police come or called or whatever after the staff finds everything in disarray. And they find these notes that were written obviously by a child. There's many, many typos. Um, And one of the notes... Just so you guys know, I have been working on my swearing and I will be swearing to read the notes. Okay. So one of the notes says, I murder so that I may come back. Another one reads, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. Wow. Some of them also include uh, 
homophobic slurs, so I'm going to skip over that particular word. The third note says, fuck off, we murder, watch out, Fanny and blank. And then the final note was the most, it was, it makes zero sense. So I'm just going to read to you what's on the note. Okay. But remember, this is an 11 year old -old and a 13 year old. It says, you are mice. Why? Because we murdered Martin. Go brown. You bet. Look out. There are murders about by Fanny and Ald blank. You screws. It makes no sense. Like I, in my brain, I read it a few times over and I can kind of piece together. What they're saying is you are mice and (laughs) you are mice because we murdered Martin. You better look out is what it's supposed to say. You better look out. There are murders about. And then they refer to Fanny and again, this word that is a slur. I think those are nicknames for themselves. Like, I think... Because it kind of warns that they're about to do something, right? Yeah, I think, like, they're saying... What's the slur? Just so my brain connects it. Is it's it the F word. F? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. the F word. Um, so I think they are saying, like, when they're saying, watch out, Fanny and F. Is it the full one or the short one? The full word. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not to be confused with, like, a cigarette. A cigarette. Yeah. Right. No. Okay. No, no, no. So Good could... point, but no. Okay. So I think that that's actually, like, nicknames that they've given themselves. <laughs> I would not let you call me that. No, same. <laughs> uh, although I don't know what that word means in... Well, Fanny might be butt. Oh, you're right. But it says, watch out Fanny and F. Watch or your this, ass. This le- it says, watch your ass. one says... Look out, there are murders about by Fanny and Ald. I don't know what this word is. A-U-L-D. And then the F word. Kids are writing these notes. Yeah, we just tried to make sense of 11-year-old murder mind. I'm like, it must mean something. Yeah. We're sleuthing ourselves here. You just heard yeah. the whole process in our brain. Yeah. It's not that complicated, I'm sure. So the police kind of chalk it up as to, like, a bad prank. They're like, oh, it's like these vandals broke into this nursery or whatever. They don't think it's connected. They think it's, like, somebody broke in and they're just, like, trying to, like, terrorize people by saying, like, they're the murderers or whatever and they're not. Okay. That's some theory to go down. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, maybe explore other options, but sure. Right. Um, like, what's the height of the note at? Like, come on, people. Let's do a little or bit like, of investigative work. Look at, like, the handwriting there. Right. This all gets put together later on when somebody's like, it is actually a kid. And they're like, oh, yeah, that handwriting was a kid's. <laughs> on May 29th, right before Martin's funeral, the girls go to Martin's parents' house. And they knock on the door. And his mom, June, answers. And they ask to see Martin. And the mom's like, I'm so sorry, girls. You can't see him. He... He's oh, like asked away. to see him. All they said is, "Can we see Martin?" Okay. She says, "No, you can't see him. He he's passed away." Mm-hmm. And tells them that he's died, and um, Mary goes, "Oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin." <gasps> so help me if I wouldn't kick an eleven-year-old in the face, like, <laughs> like straight what? just. Send her sailing off the porch. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know what June's response to that oh was, but it just, I mean, this girl's a terror. Hopefully she just didn't let them see it too, though. No, okay. no, 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 okay. no, no. It's not like we were doing like open viewing at the house. Oh my gosh. Also, I doubt he was like actually like, he would be at the funeral home. You don't keep the coffin. It's the 60s. Until you're doing, if you were doing the viewing, you would have him there that day, but you wouldn't have the coffin just hanging out at the house. I mean, you do it, the funeral home would actually bring him in for the viewing itself. And then they go straight from the viewing to the actual burial. But I know this because another victim is going to come into the play. Okay. And that's exactly okay. how they did it with him. <laughs> I was like, do you want a history on why it's called a living room? <laughs> yeah. No, they. It's gross. They yeah. kept pe- dead people. There yeah. Until no, they were that's not them. that's okay. not what happened here. <laughs> OK. Um, okay, so July 31st, uh, three-year-old Brian Howe was last seen by his parents outside of their house playing with one of his siblings, their dog, and Norma and Mary. How old? Three years old. Oh my gosh, these are tiny, tiny babies. I know. When he didn't come home in the afternoon, neighbors and families, basically, like, the whole neighborhood formed a search party and they go out looking for Brian. At 11.10 p.m., they found Brian... Uh, near Tin Lizzie, hmm. between two concrete blocks. He had clumps of grass and weeds on him, like somebody had tried to, like, cover his body, but like not... threw some stuff on yeah. him? Yeah. Okay. His lips had turned colors. He had bruises <sighs> and scratches on his neck. He was deceased at this point. They also found a pair of broken scissors near his feet, and the coroner determined that he had died of strangulation. Okay. They said that they believe that he had died late in the afternoon, early evening, and he had died by... The strangulation had been very specific. Um, He had been held by the throat with one hand, and then the other hand was used to actually hold his nose closed. Also found puncture wounds in his legs that were inflicted (gasps) pre-mortem. His hair had been cut in several sections. No. And his trigger warning. His genitals had been mutilated. No. This is the part where I was like, this was not the story I signed up for. Oh my gosh. And I don't want to do this one anymore. A three-year-old? A three-year-old baby. The fuck? An attempt had also been made to carve the letter M (gasps) into his stomach. No. M? M. Oh, duh. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's conflicting... um, I've read a couple different things. Someone said that there was an M that was carved into his stomach. I read another thing that said it was actually the letter N. And it was later proven that another hand changed it to the letter M. Oh. So it had originally been an N and somebody else changed it to an M. I've heard both. I don't know which is actually true. So it's probably a combination. Maybe. Of Norma and Mary. So the coroner concluded that he believed a child had committed the crime because of the small amount of force that was used to actually kill the boy. It wasn't like his entire neck was covered in bruises. Like a tiny body with a big sorry, a big man hand. Like not to gender profile, but like. It is what it is. A big man hand, like something like that would actually like crush the windpipe and would cause like severe trauma to the neck. 
Whereas like this is like we there's marks, but like it's most the they're, we're cutting anything. off the airway, not necessarily crushing the windpipe. Right. Just corners like you're looking for a kid, and they're like, oh my god, remember those notes that we found that a child wrote. <laughs> Anyway, they also found gray and burgundy fibers on Brian's body and clothes that didn't match anything from his household. So over 100 officers were assigned to this case. Damn. And 1,200 kids were questioned. Oh, because of the size of the Yeah, neck because markings. the coroner okay. said it's, it's a kid. Mary and Norma were two of the kids that were questioned. Okay. And witnesses had obviously said... Brian was playing with Norma and Mary that day. So when they were brought in, Norma was described as kind of excitable. Like she was just kind of like hopped up, you know, when Mm -hmm. she was brought in for questioning. Like a little sugar high 13 year old. Yeah. Just like nervous, angsty, that kind of thing. Um, Mary was very deadpan. Hmm. She was just kind of like, what's next? Yeah. Their stories didn't match at all, but the one thing that they both agreed on and said was that they had played with him that morning and they didn't see him after lunch. Dude, it's so weird that these little girls have the same freaking stories. Like, it's one... Oh, God, I can't. And Mary said that she actually remembered seeing an eight-year-old boy playing with Brian that afternoon, and she said this eight-year-old boy actually hit Brian when she was watching him. And then Mary said... The weirdest thing is this, like, this boy that he was playing with was covered in grass and weeds like he'd been rolling around in a field. Oh, my God. And then she was like, oh, and the other thing is he also had this pair of scissors that were broken that he was carrying on him. And I know this. So weird. And I know this because I saw him trying to use the scissors to cut off a cat's tail. And the police were like... Okay, so you did it because, and they don't say this to Mary, but like at this point they're like, they're convinced that Mary is the one that did it because only the police knew that a pair of broken scissors had been found at the crime scene. Nobody else knew that detail. They hadn't released it to the media, nothing. Um, Obviously, they also went and questioned the eight-year-old boy because she did identify a specific boy. Yeah. They went and questioned the boy, um, and he was actually at the airport that afternoon with his parents. And his parents said that, you know, he's at the airport. Several witnesses also confirmed that he was seen at the airport. So they corroborated mm-hmm. the parents' statement. So full on, so like, he was ironclad like, yeah, alibi. Sh- yep. not, not this kid. Get yourself an alibi. On August 4th, Norma's parents call the police and say that Norma wants to confess that she knew about the death of Brian. Whoa. So police bring in Norma, they read her her rights, and they question her again. And she says that Mary had taken her to Tin Lizzie and showed her Brian's body. Oh. And said that Mary had also shown her how she strangled him and told her that she'd enjoyed doing it. And then Norma said that the cuts in his stomach were actually not made with the scissors, but made with a razor blade. That Mary had hidden. And then Norma proceeds to lead police to that razor blade. Oh, wow. And they uncover it at the crime scene, and it was indeed hidden, and it was indeed used to make the cuts in the boy's stomach. (laughs) So, on August 5th, the police go to Mary's house the next Mm -hmm. day. Go back to Mary's house. She says that 
The police are trying to brainwash her. She's very defensive. She doesn't want to talk to him. Um, and just like completely shut down. Norma, in the meantime, is back in for round two or three at this point, whatever it is. Um, and this time her story changes and she says that she was Uh actually present when Mary killed Brian, that Mary hadn't just taken her to show her the body, that she was there when Brian was alive. Mm -hmm. And Mary actually got tired of trying to strangle him and told Norma to take over (gasps) and Norma had run away. about that norma so in the meantime the labs are doing their thing and they find that the fibers on brian match a gray dress that mary owns and a burgundy skirt that norma owns oh both of them the gray fibers from mary were also found on martin's body the first first one in the house yep weird so brian howe was buried on august 7th 200 people attended his service. And this is where the funeral home had actually brought him to Brian's parents' house. They had done a viewing there. And Mary went and stood outside of his house as his coffin was brought out of the house and taken back to the funeral home for the actual burial. And the detective that was leading the case witnessed her standing outside of the house laughing and rubbing (gasps) her hands together. Ew, 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 And he said, I knew right then and there that I had to get her because if I didn't get her, she was going to do it again. Whoa. The fact that these parents didn't just, like, kick her teeth in is what's wild to me. Oh, my God. Like, what? Yeah. So that same night after this whole display... Outside of Brian's parents' house, the police arrested and charged both girls with the murders of Brian and Martin. Wow. Uh, Norma cried when she was arrested and vowed to get back at all of them. And Mary (laughs) was very nonchalant about it. And she said, that's all right by me. Oh, wow. Girl's a demon. Dude. Mary gave a written statement saying that she was present when Brian was murdered, but that Norma did it and admitted (laughs) to breaking into the nursery and writing the notes, but otherwise said that she was clean. Did they ask her for a translation of it? (laughs) (laughs) So like when you wrote those, like what did you mean to write? Because there are like some spelling errors. (laughs) Had you drank a little too much children's Tylenol before you came in? Honestly, like like, when I saw them, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen fifth grade because she's fifth grade. Um, It's the only age group that I know in my head because that was the age that my mom taught. But I like her handwriting and like the spelling errors that she made. I'm like, I've seen fifth graders write like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, don't know what it meant, but anyway, um, the girls were both evaluated and when the evaluations were completed, they determined that Norma was intellectually delayed Mm. and that Mary was very bright, too smart, the dominant personality, very cunning, prone to mood swings and diagnosed her with psychopathic personality disorder. Both girls were put on trial together. They both Hmm. pleaded not guilty. The judge actually waived the right to anonymity despite their age. So because they were minors, they were supposed to be protected according Mm -hmm. to their age. 
council argued and protested and were like, absolutely not. You can't, you can't out them. They're minors or whatever. And the judge was like, I don't care. And so like the, what the, the stuff they did was, you know, not accidental. Was still. It, yeah. Still. Weird. It's not. I'm not saying that's the reason, but yeah. you know, it's. It's, it's weird. Oof. Cause like the protection of minors based on their age is not written according to like somebody's feelings about like, you know, but anyway, the judge did what he did. Um, and so the, all their information was published in the media. Their picture was posted. They had photos from the trial posted. They had their names, they had their age, you know, everything was in there. The prosecution opened the, um, trial with a six hour opening statement detailing all the similarities between the murders and the break in had to be the same person or people that committed mm-hmm. both, or all three. He said the evidence obviously indicated guilt. The girls acted equally and they acted together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically said this is a joint effort. you got to find both of them guilty. Norma actually did end up, both girls end up testifying, but Norma testifies first in her own defense. She denies being involved. She said she knew Mary was prone to violence and had attacked younger kids. Um... When they asked her why she didn't go and get help because there were other kids playing Mm -hmm. nearby, she said she didn't know what was going to happen and that when kids would get closer, Mary would stop hurting these boys. So she thought, like, she wasn't going to kill them. She's just hurting them. That's what Norma said. That's weird. Um, That's what Norma said. (laughs) So Mary would stop sometimes. So she was like, okay, it's fine because she's stopping. I don't need to get help. And um, said adamantly that she never touched either boy, didn't do anything to hurt them. Mary also testified, and Mary testified for four hours. Whoa. She denied the accusations from Norma. She said that she had just found Martin's body, even though she didn't find Martin's body. It was somebody, there was three other kids Mm -hmm. that found him. But she said that she had just found Martin's body. She said that she had only asked Martin's mom to see Martin's body as a dare. Her and Norma had dared each other. Oh my gosh. She said that Norma had strangled Brian and that she was just standing and looking. That's what she said. I was standing and looking. And not doing anything makes you culpable. And she didn't turn Norma in because she was scared and she was loyal to her friend. Um... Norma's mom also testified that they had found Mary within this time period trying to strangle Norma's younger sister. Oh. And that Norma's dad had had to use physical violence against Mary to get her to stop. Wow. Some say that he... Like a spank or something? Some say that he punched her in the arm. Um, Another story I read said that he actually slapped her across the face. Mm. Either way, he inflicted actual physical force to get her Mm -hmm. to stop. Not sure why they didn't call the police, but it is what it is. Um, The psychiatrist in the case testified that Norma had the capacity of an eight-year-old. She knew right from wrong, but she had limited understanding regarding consequences, repercussions, that kind of thing. The trial altogether lasted nine days. The jury deliberated for three and a half hours, and Mary was found not guilty of murder but was found guilty of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, which Mm. means that she had a mental incapacity to understand that her actions were going to result in death. death. Norma was acquitted of all charges. 
Whoa. I was not expecting that. Me neither. I was like, what? No guilt by association? Just. I don't know. England does things different, apparently. Like, here, um, I I was listening to Dateline earlier today. um, And the case I was listening to in Dateline, it was in Alabama. And the officer that was talking, he said, it doesn't matter who pulled the trigger. All that matters is that you were, uh, if you were somehow involved. Or didn't help. Yeah. If you're, yeah, basically that it doesn't matter who, who pulled the trigger. Both of you are going down for murder. Mm -hmm. It was like a case of a wife and a, a lover and that kind of stuff. So it didn't matter that the wife had pulled the trigger or the boyfriend had pulled the trigger. Both of them were in on it. So both of them right. were brought up on murder charges. Yeah. That's not what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a room and someone's about to shoot someone else and you sit by ad- idly and it's more than just out of fear for your own life, then you're not helping the situation. Well, and you could I, be, I don't know, depending on the state, I think. Well, and I think in Alabama specifically, like, if... I don't think anybody expects you to throw your body in front of a gun. No, of course but not. What he was saying is if you were part of the planning of or knew that it was going to happen and did nothing to intervene um, mm-hmm. or facilitated it in any type of way. Right. It doesn't matter who ultimately pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. You were both part of the planning. You're both going away for murder. Yeah. I can't believe she got acquitted completely. Yep. Norma actually stood up and clapped her hands in excitement when the oh, verdict was read. Oh my gosh. And Mary burst into tears, and her mom and grandma cried in the uh, courtroom. courtroom. I was going to say the audience, and that didn't audience. feel right to me. I think it's audience for those that are in the not on the two tables, though. Is it considered the audience? I think so. Don't care for that word uh, being used in that context. Or maybe, maybe it's something else. But I thought it was audience. Hmm. Trying to remember what they call the media yeah. when they're in there. Anyway. Um, so Mary's sentence, she was uh, sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, which meant the hell does that mean? it's an indefinite sentence. So oh. it can be for a lifetime or it can be until the I don't queen think it's actually says- I don't I think it's actually the queen, but I think it's. Until the powers that be. Let's say like the Superior Court judge or something for us. And I don't think it was that because like the way they, we'll get into it. Can but it's like tell me decisions were made along the way regarding her release that I'm like, I don't think Queen Elizabeth was like, yeah, go ahead. Like, I'd let her out. She was not part of this story at all. I don't know if Parliament's involved. Like, I don't know exactly how that works, but that's what they call it. As they say, at Her Majesty's pleasure. Um, so basically, like, the high courts, parliament, somebody decides how it's long open-ended. it's for. Yeah. Like, there's no min, no max. You're just, you're going in. Right. So remember when we did the Greyhound bus yeah. murder? Um, and he did, like, that whole, like, kind of, like, re-entrance into society type thing. Right. They kind of do something similar here. So mm. we'll get into it. Okay. So she was detained at several remand houses um, because of her age. And then she was eventually transferred to a young offenders institution. She was the only female of 24 inmates. Wow. What could go wrong, right? 
Um, so she obviously, she said that she, um, was sexually abused by both inmates and staff starting at 13 years old. Wow. But staff also reported that she would sneak into the boys' rooms and she would antagonize the boys and that she would self-inflict wounds on herself, um, and then claim that the boys had attacked her and stuff like that. So it was like, it's like this weird battle. I don't Weird. know if it was he said he said she said or if there there were probably both pieces of the story that were true. Right. Like she was being abused and therefore like she was trying to get even by trying to get them in trouble for doing something or uh, she was repeating a pattern she had seen before and experienced before yeah. with the abuse. So at 16 years old she was transferred to a secure wing of a prison in Cheshire when she was super unhappy about being transferred which I was like you think you'd be excited to get out of there, but she was super mad about it. And then in 1976, she was transferred to what's called an open prison, which is basically the most minimum security. Mm-hmm. She took a secretarial course while she was there. And then in 1977, she and another inmate escaped. Ah. So she goes on the run um, and spends several days with this other inmate and two men that they pick up along the way. They go sightseeing. They're living in and out of hotels. Her and this other inmate part ways. She goes off with this guy that she's met and is found later, like a few days later, at one of this guy's homes. Um, It's only been like a couple weeks at this point. She had dyed her hair blonde to try and like disguise herself. And they arrested her, brought her back in. And her punishment was losing her prison privileges for 28 days. What? I'd be like, worth it. Like, yeah, right. What, what privileges? <laughs> Once a month, I go in, then I come yeah, out. Yeah, you get like two yeah. or three weeks of freedom for a month of what? Like actually being in prison versus <laughs> kind of being in prison. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a deal. Yeah, and then two years later, in 1979, she was transferred to an open category prison, which is what we talked about in the. Greyhound case in Canada. Canada. Why do I always, always do that? that? I always do that. <sighs> Canada. Canada. In my head, <laughs> like it's that is how it's spelled in my head, and I'm adding in an extra n, but it visually it makes sense to me. There's like a DJ scratch in your brain for yeah Canada. remix. <laughs> So she's transferred to this open category prison, and it's the same as, like, that Canada case, um, where they kind of can come and go with passes, and they have yeah. supervised visits, and they can go to work and come back type thing. It's a Almost lot of... like a midway type of house. Like, they, they just like have a, a check-in... Oh, yeah, yeah. Halfway. Like, they have a check-in time, like, yeah. be in by a certain time. Exactly. You have a curfew, that kind of stuff. Weird. So while she's... I want to say, like, living there, but, like, while she's... Yeah, right. <laughs> locked up there no she's living Um, there she's she's... living there she begins working as a secretary uh so she comes and goes to go to work and then she ends up working at a cafe as a waitress again like she has to do this under like supervised regulation guidelines or Mm. whatever um but she comes and goes for work and then she is released in may of 1980 she was released 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 she is 23 years old at this point she'd spent 11 and a half years in custody she is given a new name. They agree to let her basically, um, at this point, protection. they're like, oh, yeah. R- remember when we didn't think that you deserved anonymity when you were a child? We'll give it to you now. So they give her a new name. 
Um, and she has a daughter in 1984. And she's living under this new identity until she's discovered by the media in 1998. Her daughter at this point was 14 years old. And this is the first time she learned of her mother's true identity. She didn't even know her mom's Whoa. real name. No, I couldn't even imagine. Yes. So she had to go into protest protective custody. The police came, picked her up, basically took her into like a remote... Uh, secure location. Secure housing type thing. Um she then petitioned the courts in 2003 to grant lifelong anonymity to both her, her daughter, and then this is first we find out about it, her granddaughter. Her granddaughter. Oh. Yeah. Wait, you said oh, the She 14 was 14 year old? in 1998, announced 2003. Wow. Um, Mary did win that uh, filing, and so no info can be published on them regarding anything that could potentially ID them and who they are. And, um, she did end up working with an author named Gitta Sereni for a book called Cries Unheard, the story of Mary Bell. But that's the last anybody like really ever heard of her making any, making any type of appearance into her identity. And that is the story of Mary Bell. Norma falls off the face of the planet. Oh, Cannot find any information about what she's up to now or anything. Um, but that is this week's case on Norma and Mary Bell. First of all, I can't believe the 13 year old just got acquitted. I can't Norma either. Norma definitely was there. Yeah. Not for one, but for two. Well, and like, um, Mary's, uh, sentence technically translated to like voluntary manslaughter, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like, couldn't Norma have gotten like an involuntary manslaughter or right. something? Like something? Like you were there, yeah. Like let's. Something. But like I, it sounds like during this time England was kind of in the. I mean, just based on this case, I don't actually know. But the fact that they found her not guilty of murder based on diminished capacity. If if the psychiatrist said that Norma had basically the mental capacity of an eight year old, and that's how lenient they were willing to go on Mary, right. I can see them being like, oh well, she had no idea what she was doing. So was, I cannot imagine. Them doing something like that. Like, yeah. In either case, either in Norma's case, either just idly sitting around, which is what she's alleging she did, but, or with Mary. And that you continue to put yourself in those situations. Like, Ugh. if it happened once and you actually tried to do something about it, but you continue to be around her and continue to, like, be part of crimes that she was committing. And maybe I should, maybe I should know this, but I don't. Are you, is being a psychopath something you're born with or something that is developed? I think it depends on who you ask. Mm. That's, that goes back to the nature versus nurture right. argument. I don't because think anyone can say. Tragic, horrific, yeah. you know, life from at least five years old, five years old and, but probably before that, because it sounds like her mom was abusing her now she says, right? Because we yeah. know that now, but. When that's, that is the age old argument is, are people born that way or do you become that way? Right. Nobody really knows. I mean, for this one. I'm think, inclined to think she became that way. Right. You know. But for this one, poor girl, five years old and being subject yeah. to that. Yeah. Her from mother. Her own mother. Her mother made terrible choices. Oh, from her she own suffered mother. the consequences and then Mary herself turned around and made terrible choices and too. And she was cold yeah she was like a, a stoic like 
she was, this is what happened. Cold blooded. For real. Yeah. She was like, that's fine. Go ahead and arrest me. It's cool. And manipulative because I'm Yeah, sure when you see pictures of her, she is dead inside. I was thinking uh, when you said Mary Bill, and I think her first name might actually be Barry as well. Have you seen it where there's, it's a, a kid psychologist interviewing a kid where she's having thoughts of harming her little brother and it's just eerie to watch her because she's just dead saying like, yep, I... Was she on Oprah? No. Oh. Um, but who's but I'll have to look her up. There's a... There's a very interesting um, video out there that shows she's just being like, yeah, I want to hurt yeah. people. I want to hurt my mom. I want to hurt my dad. Definitely yeah. want to hurt my brother. And it's just like, oh, my God, someone so teeny tiny is saying things that are just like, yeah, not even grown up things, but just like so dark. Yes. And so they're dark, so... so heavy. So and it doesn't register with them that that's that's an enormous. Right problem what they're saying you know yeah well that was a great case thank that really you was. thank you um but so why do you think they call her cereal i think because of like you know the fact that she did kill two separate um victims and i think when we think of a traditional serial killer so in order to be a serial killer they have to could, they have to kill three separate people over a period of time. Like, it can't happen all at, like, the same day. Like, you know. Right. They, there's a difference of, like, mass shoot or mass killings. This isn't a Grey's Anatomy episode. Lexi explains it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's mass murders. There's serial killings. There are, uh, I'm trying to remember what all they were. Spree. Yeah, spree killings. And so for a serial killer, it has to take, there has to be separate instances that takes place over at least a period of a month. Um, and it has to be a minimum of three separate victims. And they're similar. Not even similar. No. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Basically like you go out, it's three individual murders that like aren't necessarily like, like I don't go in and kill an entire family, you know? Like someone takes a breath in between. Yeah. Somebody takes a breath. The victims aren't necessarily linked, that kind of thing. So I think why they call her a serial killer is because serial killers are, like, the terminology came off of adult men and what constituted as a serial killer for adult male offenders. Mm. So I think they are applying it in child terms of, like, what she could be. You know, she wasn't a full-grown adult. She wasn't at that point where she was capable of or had yet killed three people, Mm -hmm. but she was trending that way. Gotcha. Yeah. Had she she... been an adult and been a little bit more stealthy and smart and stuff like that, that's where she would have been Mm -hmm. at. Yeah. Okay. So I just found the the video that I'm talking about, guys. So we'll probably link it. It's the Beth Thomas interview. Maybe I'll put it on TikTok. It's a straight bone chilling interview of this little girl who had thoughts about hurting her her brother, and her family took her back to the adoption agency and had her evaluated to see what was happening. That's when this interview is taking place. Uh-huh. And there, there's obviously, just like Mary. I think things that happened very, very early on with her mm-hmm. that made her almost have this disconnect between, like, actions and feelings and, you know, just yeah. be... Whew, it is a crazy video. 
Um, I'll put a clip of it on TikTok yeah. and then figure out what to do with the rest. <laughs> so that's it. If, um, if you have cases that you'd like to suggest, the best way to do it is to sign up for Patreon, patreon.com slash stranger danger podcast. And if you're signed up, we prioritize your cases. We understand that we're behind for January. Okay. Things happened. Um, but we will have a special bonus episode for you guys in February. Cool. All right. All right. That's it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.